Thank you for joining us for the Elevation Podcast, hosted by the Colorado PGA. I'm your host, Holly Champion, and I'm the Education and Membership Director. Our guest speaker for this episode is Thane Marcus Ringler. I was introduced to Thane through a PGA member who is excited to share Thane's content with others. Though COVID is still with us and may never leave, it doesn't seem to dictate our lives as it once did. However, it has significantly impacted many day-to-day things we do and think about. Are you left feeling overwhelmed or feeling heavy with the additional mental load? Well, that is what we will be chatting with Thane about. The pandemic really helped push society into a more digital age where we can accomplish so much more in new environments. Think home office or virtual meetings. Sounds great, right? Well, as Thane explains, there's a cost with every change. These new advancements also came with feelings of having no room to breathe and having no end in sight. With Thane's help, we dig into what you may be feeling and learn some techniques to help you move forward in this episode of the Elevation Podcast. Thane, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Elevation Podcast series. We're going to talk about something that I think is very important for anyone in our post-COVID world is the feeling of being overwhelmed hmm. post-COVID. So thank you so much for joining us. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey. I know you have some ties to golf, so get us started with a little bit of an introduction. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me on, Holly. It's going to be a lot of fun sharing this time and conversation with you. And yes, I am very akin to the world of golf. Uh, I love it. <laughs> it's uh, It's been a big part of my story. And you know, I started playing golf when I was two or three. Uh, my dad got a club in my hands when I was really young. Uh, and I competed my whole life. Um, even now, I, I still compete a little bit on the side. It's less of an occupation and more of a hobby now. But it, it played a big part of my own development in life. I I competed uh, all throughout uh, as a junior in Kansas, just over one state over here. Uh, And I ended up competing uh, collegially at the Masters University, a private Christian school out in California. And then after that, I competed for about four years professionally on different developmental tours. Uh, The Adams Pro Tour, which is now I think all APT, all pro tour, Golden State Tour, other mini tours around the U.S. And then overseas, the One Asia Tour for a season. Uh, A lot of great experiences, not a lot of great results and ended up with an injury in my back that repeated about five times over a year and a half. And that was a big uh, piece of me transitioning out of the world of competitive golf and into the world of human development performance. Uh, A lot of what I learned uh, for myself as an athlete and trying to unlock my greatest potential on the course, I started taking to people in their lives, uh, in their work, um, and as they grew uh, throughout their career. And, and in that process, I ended up joining forces with a larger group called Giant Worldwide. And so my focus now is really on organizations and teams and also individuals and helping them become leaders worth following, people that uh, others want to follow, not just have to follow, uh, and helping us grow in that process. And honestly, it's a great accountability for myself. Uh, if I'm going to try to walk alongside someone else in that, I have to walk alongside myself first. Uh, so I, I love that aspect of it too. It's unfortunate that uh, you couldn't keep going on on the tour tour circuit, but uh, we're glad to have you in this capacity for sure. And it sounds like it's been rather successful. So we're we're excited about that. Thank you. Um, yeah. So to kind of take a, a deeper dive into today's topic, the post-COVID overwhelm. You know, I, I was, I've had the pleasure of meeting you through a couple different virtual meetings, and um, 
hearing a little bit more about your organization, Thane Marcus, and a blog post of yours on your website really stuck out to me titled, When There Is No Margin. Um, And reading through it, I was just kind of blown away at how relatable this is for so many people in the world today, in golf today. And so that's why I wanted to really have you on the show to, uh, to really just kind of deep, deep dive into this. So you kind of lead off the article with no room to breathe and no end in sight. Tell us Mm -hmm. what was your inspiration for this? Well, you know, I like to write and think and talk about things that I am going through alongside others that hopefully can be relatable. And that was the feeling that I had quite literally of no room to breathe and no end of sight. You know, for me and my wife, it was it was a combination of things, but a lot large part of it was a house hunt and real estate market in Colorado is insane as it is most places in the world. And so going through that felt like a gauntlet. It was grueling. It took up so much energy and time and emotion and just our, our general resources to go through. So it, it was a feeling that just added up over months of that process. And it struck me as uh, really interesting in the fact that even after we were out of that process, that feeling was still there. And that told me something. I said, you know what? I've been using this real estate hunt as my scapegoat for that feeling of saying, oh, it's just because we're looking for a home. But in reality, what's beneath that? What's going on beyond that for myself? And when I took a step back, it was clear that a lot of it had to do with just a new world we lived in. For most of us, COVID uh, changed everything uh, about our lives for at least a portion of time. And with that came much more of a virtual world, much more of an interconnectedness. And on one hand, that seemed like an advantage, right? It seemed like, hey, we can get more done with our days. We can get more done. We can be more effective. Um, We can do everything virtually. Uh, And we forget that with every change, there's a cost associated with it. And for me, this cost was an increasing feeling that I had no room to breathe. I had no margin in my day. And when a little slight thing went off or or something didn't go according to plan, everything else was kind of thrown to the wayside. And it constantly felt like I was trying to play catch up. Um, And, you know, it's been really interesting sitting with that because we all justify in some way. And I know people in the golf world, it's a nonstop grind. And that's not related to COVID. That's related to the industry and the job, right? There's so much demands on your time. um, And you're dedicating so much of your life to this occupation, this pursuit, this calling career, whatever you want to call it, that increasingly, we, we feel like we're trying to play catch up. We're behind the eight ball. We're, um, trying to stay afloat. And those aren't really fun feelings. Uh, and it causes a lot of interesting side effects along the way. Yeah, for sure. I I related to this because, you know, we've heard so many people for the last couple of years talk about, oh, when things go back to normal. Oh, when we get back into the office, when we stop doing virtual meetings, when we keep doing it. And I'm of the of the mindset that I think this is our new normal. Mm-hmm. I really don't think that we're going to all of a sudden wake up one day, poof, COVID is gone, and we're we're just back to normal again. Everybody mm-hmm. can go to the office. There's no worry. Yeah. You know, being that overwhelmed and having that sinking feeling of, oh my gosh, I just it's so overwhelming right now, but it will get better. Um, I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure that's the case. And so how how do we dive into that a little bit? Yeah. You know, what uh, what causes that? 
Yeah, there's so many things involved, but I think what you just said there was really poignant. You said the new normal. And whether it's a new normal or an old normal, the fact that there is a normal speaks to that idea of expectations. And a lot of those are cultural expectations that are in play. And the idea that, okay, a new normal, well, for people that aren't in the golf industry, there has been a lot more new normal, right? Because it is a lot more virtual. And so if you're listening to this and you're like, yeah, that's me, I, you know, I now work from home most of the time, or I live kind of in a hybrid reality where I'm sometimes in the office, sometimes at home. For us that do that, a lot of the times we have now schedules that are maybe twice as full. We have expectations that we place on ourselves based on the culture of hyperachievement in America that says we need to be as effective and efficient as possible in all things. And because we're working from home, we should get this much more done. Um, that narrative is at play. And for people that haven't, right, if you're in the golf industry and you're still working at the course, well, guess what? Everyone else is now using any extra space they have to head to the golf course and spend extra time there. And so not only is the typical expectations that have been placed on you in the old norm still there, but also now there's a new expectation from all the other people that are frequenting the golf courses that much more um, that are placed on top of that. And so there's this culture piece that's a huge part to play. Um, and there's a post-COVID itch, as we all experience. Like when you've been locked up for a while or you feel like you haven't had any room to breathe, you just want to get out and go. And so there's way more attraction in golf, as we've seen. There's way more people enjoying and, and participating in the game. But also that puts increasing demands on the staff and the people that are supporting it. Um, and at some point, it becomes unsustainable. Uh, the other side of it is uh, boundaries are hard. We are the only ones that create the boundaries. Um, no one else is going to create them for them and for us. And life for sure isn't going to create boundaries for us. <laughs> Life's going to do everything it can to remove those boundaries, to make sure we don't have any in place. So it's up to us 100% to create the boundaries that we need to be healthy and successful and ultimately sustainable because nothing um, at breakneck speed will last over time. I think that's a lot of what we're experiencing, a lot of the factors. Um, there's even others like the idea that what has happened in COVID has a lingering effect. There's, I heard a lot early on, right, about how there's a, a worldwide trauma that we've all experienced, a level of trauma that everyone has gone through, a different version of that. And I think that idea has kind of slipped out of our minds, slipped out of consciousness, but it's still there lingering and Processing any type of trauma takes time. And so there's almost a level of rumination that is going on beneath the surface that is contributing to this overwhelm as well. Uh, so there's a lot of things at play. And I think it's just helpful to take a pause and be like, hey, what is at play for me personally? Because it's going to be different for you, Holly, than it is for me, Thane, and for you listening. I mean, Everyone's life is different, even though we share some of these experiences. So just taking time to step back and say, what what are the contributing factors for me? And what is my role uh, in contributing to those factors uh, is, is a really important question to sit with. Yeah, and I, I couldn't agree with you more about your point with boundaries, right? Um, when we're in an office setting, especially if you're in a, in a position where you have your own office or you share an office with maybe one or two other people, you know, you have a really easy boundary to set and that's closing your door or sticking your headphones in. If you're shared, if you're in a shared space, um, 
we don't necessarily have that with virtual anything, right? Mm -hmm. If your calendar's open, it's open. Somebody can toss a meeting on there. Somebody can call you. Somebody can, you know, take take your time away like that. And where, yes, you're going to have busy days, but you've got to set limitations. Um, I really like this this sentence in your blog post. It's, we are human, we have limitations, and we need to enforce certain limitations for our overall health and well-being. So that really stuck out as it relates to you know, a lot of our, our golf professionals at facilities. We're seeing one of the biggest booms in golf right now in decades, and people want more, 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 and people want... You know, there there was an article recently that came out uh, in Golf Digest talking about the club pro crisis, which is an interesting mm-hmm. article. But in it, it also talks about you know a, a dwindling workforce within golf, and I think both of those have to do with boundaries. You know, we can't work uh, on the golf professional side; we can't work eighty hours a week every week for a season, and you know, not expect to be burnt out really quickly. But at the same time, you've got customers that are now booming the industry saying, no, we want more. We want more programs. We want more tee times. We want better course conditions. We want more clinics. We want more instruction as a whole, more junior programs, coaching. I mean, the list goes on and on and Mm -hmm. on. And, you know, how, how do we not feel overwhelmed? at a lot Mm -hmm. of those needs. Yeah, uh, that is the question, right? And a lot of what we talk about in the work of leadership development in general is that you can't give what you don't possess. And so if we're trying to lead others, say you're the GM at the course or you're the head pro, if you're trying to lead your team to providing the best experience for your membership as possible, We can't do that well if we're not able to lead ourselves to the health that we can have on our own to lead out of that health. If we're leading out of unhealth, we're often going to be multiplying unhealth unto others. Now, that's a tough pill to swallow because a lot of it feels uncontrollable. We say, okay, well, this is the expectation. This is the culture that's set up. And like that article you mentioned, I also read that. And it is interesting, right? There is a cultural precedent that's been in play. And there's a level of um, unsustainability in that precedent that people have felt for long enough and have talked about and experienced long enough that now there's a greater conversation happening is like, okay, what is what's needed to shift this culture in a healthier direction? Um, Because ultimately we want we're all moving in the same direction. Holding boundaries says, hey, this is what I need to be successful so that we can all accomplish this as best as possible. Um, and, and that idea of you can't give what you don't possess is really important to, to have, give us the motivation to, to set a few of those boundaries that we can, that we have in our control to set, um, that will help us uh, be more intentional with the people on our team and with the members that we're interacting with. You know, it's a difficult job. It, there's a lot of Um, expectations and demands placed on yourself and it's a pressure cooker. And so anytime we're in that pressure cooker, we have to do, we have to have that much um, more discipline to make sure that we're doing what we need for ourselves. That idea of self-care that can often get thrown aside of saying, Oh, it's kind of, you know, millennial type speak, or it's, it's not really that important. Well, it really does make a difference in how other people perceive and receive how you interact with them. Uh, and so taking time to, to make sure and prioritize that is essential to anybody running a successful business, especially at a golf course. 
For sure. And I, I do want to highlight a word that you've hit on a couple of times is intention. I think that's really key in this is you need to intentionally, whether it's set boundaries, intentionally take care of yourself, intentionally schedule things out. Like this is me time. This is family mm-hmm. time. This is work time. Um, I've probably, I'll be the first to admit, gotten maybe a little too good at saying, nope, I am off the clock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, it, it feels great. Cause I, there was a point in my career where I was that, um, you know, entry level assistant, and I wasn't able to say a lot of those kind of things. And, and so it, it feels good to become intentional about what you're doing during certain times of the day and certain days of the week, certain weeks out of the month, different things like that. So I think that's great. So now that we've kind of talked about, you know, what, causes this feeling of overwhelm? What are these situations that we've seen? Um, I like that you even relate it to just a trauma that the whole society has felt, regardless of your opinions or your your stance on a lot of it. It's traumatizing. Mm-hmm. You know, the world tried to shut down for a few months there, and that, that makes life incredibly difficult. Um, how do we work ourselves past this feeling? What mm-hmm. strategies uh, did you find and write about that would really help our listeners kind of dig out of that hole. Totally. I wanted to share a a quote that I love. Uh, This guy, Parker Palmer, said uh, about self-care, and I think it sets the stage really well. He said, self-care is never a selfish act. It is simply good stewardship of the only gift I have, the gift I was put on earth to offer others. Anytime we can listen to true self and give it the care it requires, we do it not only for ourselves, but for the many others whose lives we touch. And if you're in the golf industry, your life touches a lot of people. So think about what it's costing those people that you're touching with your interactions versus what it could gain in giving them uh, when we do prioritize self-care. I think that can be a great motivation um, beyond just our own needs. Uh, But when regards to strategies, I mean... A huge one that I really struggle with, and I think a lot of you listening and and maybe even you, Holly, can relate to is expectations. We have way too unrealistic expectations for ourselves. We think that we can be superhuman and accomplish way more than we probably ever ought to or should think we ought to. Um, And a lot of that, again, is infused by culture and the narrative. But I think it's also the pressure of roles and um, and even our own expectations of ourselves, based on other narratives we see um, outside of ourselves that cause it to. So honestly, just expecting a little bit less of yourself can be really helpful. Understanding that, hey, I'm going to go really hard at these one or two priorities today. And if I get those done, then it's a success. Anything else is gravy. That's a realistic expectation. Instead of saying, okay, I've got this list. There's 12 things to do. And I need to make sure that it's all scheduled out my calendar. And if I don't get them all done, then I'm a failure. Well, <laughs> someone comes into your office and they have a need. And all of a sudden, like you're taking care of a person, which is way more important than your task list. And now you feel like a failure for doing that. When in reality, the priority should be the opposite. That a person with a need that you can meet is way more important than your schedule that you thought was a priority. But if we never have margin in our schedule, then we won't be able to adapt to life's nuances that are always thrown our way. So I think expectations are huge. Boundaries we've talked about. A simple boundary that I find anyone can hold to is just bookends to your day. Starting and ending your day in a consistent way that gives you what you need. 
So for me, it's not having my phone on, having it on airplane mode until probably eight in the morning. I usually get about 5.30. That's a couple hours of no interaction, no notifications come my way, no ability to check email. It's great, right? That is huge. I need to get. that. <laughs> it gives you, right, yeah, it's, 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 a, I just literally swipe, click the airplane mode and boom, there we are. Um, that is huge for my own um, sanity. And then in the evening, again, turning the phone on airplane mode around nine when I'm winding down, just saying, hey, anyone trying to reach out to me after this time is not important. Like I can get to that tomorrow. Um, and whether it be reading or doing some light stretching or foam rolling sometimes, cracking the back, you know, those kind of things that really help us uh, prepare for the next day. Um, whatever that is, just have a consistent bookend, uh, the start and the, the finish. Um, and then really another aspect that I think we all could use more of is patience. You know, uh, there's such a such a pressure in any leadership or any organization um, to accomplish more faster, um, to have the numbers improve sooner, um, to have people's performance uh, turn around faster, like in a more timely manner. And, and just understanding that any meaningful change takes time, even with setting bookends for yourself, or even with expecting less of yourself, understanding that it may be a couple months of that process of just trying it out, practicing, experimenting before it really locks in. That's okay. I, I think playing the long game helps us. I mean, this is true in golf too, right? If we get impatient on the course and we start trying to force things to happen, we have a couple bogeys early. We say, I've got to make up ground. I've got to really push the needle here. You know, I've got to really press. Well, all of a sudden we start making mistakes with our decisions and we start beating ourselves up for a couple bad shots. And that, that um, snowballs into a handful of bogeys instead of just the two that we had. And now we're in an even worse place. So we have to play the long game. We have to be patient. Um, and that's a, that's always going to be a key, I think, to this process of, of finding a healthier um, place for us to lead from. Absolutely. Yeah. And I would say to go along with, with patience and expectations, um, is pressure. What can you do to take pressure off yourself, but what can you do to take pressure around those around you? Um, when we started working from home and I started working some somewhat long hours, um, I added a signature or a little statement at the end of my email signatures, working human notice. If you mm -hmm. receive this email outside working hours, that's because I'm sending it at a time that is convenient for me. I only expect you to respond when it's convenient for you. Mm -hmm. um, we're really lucky, I think, in the golf industry. In most cases, we don't really deal in emergencies. Somebody's not coming to my golf shop or to my instruction center saying, I have a broken leg, please fix it. Now, if it does, uh, please use your best judgment, call 911. <laughs> but, you know, that's that's really not the case, right? Mm -hmm. We deal in recreation. Most people come to come to our industry to do the things that we're talking about, right? Do something that makes you feel human. Do something that brings you joy. Do something that gets you to decompress and disassociate from a lot of these pressures during your everyday working life, family life, whatever it may be. And I think in golf, we really need to remember that. You know, mm -hmm. maybe I'm, I'm sure a lot of us that got into the golf industry did it because we absolutely adore the game. I grew up same as you. I started picking up a club when I was five or six. I played competitively since I was like 11 and I've just always loved it. 
that's what brought me here. And mm-hmm. if a lot of us, you know, still have that opinion of golf, which I really hope that we do, um, you know, maybe it's taking 20 minutes out of the day, sneak out to your putting green or sneak out to the back tee at your range. Just go hit a bucket of balls. Mm-hmm. I mean, 20 minutes, 15 minutes, 10 minutes, is it really going to set you behind in your productivity? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm willing to bet that your daily schedule, if you don't have time for 10 to 15 minutes of some of these human actions that make you feel better and let you decompress, if you don't have time for 15 or 20 minutes of that in your day, you need to reevaluate your scheduling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and that's oh, 100%. really important. Yeah. I mean, leadership, you know, I think there's a, a, there's an idea, there's a fantasy around leadership that um, the higher up in leadership you get, the more responsibility that you are required to do or take action on. And I think that is a huge myth, right? I just, uh, Peter Drucker's book, The Effective Executive is a classic. And it's really poignant for this point in the saying that, look, the higher up you get, you have to get better at decision-making, not with action-taking. And that's a big difference is that comes down to, are you delegating? Are you saying these things that I don't necessarily need to be doing can be effectively delegated to someone else and empowering them in a healthy way so that you do have the space to take 20 minutes and go enjoy yourself? And guess what? Your staff can learn something from you in that too. They can learn that, hey, he's a human just like me or she's a human just like me. And they have needs, wants, and desires, and they aren't a robot that just operates infinitely uh, at this high-paced environment that I can never attain to, which seems, you know, fruitless. So it's it's funny how being just more human, like you said, makes us a better leader, and and honestly makes us a better golfer too. That's a huge thing that I struggled with as a as a professional. You know, I raised funds from investors, and and I was playing in a sense with other people's money. And that caused me to put way more pressure on myself. It didn't free me up. It said, oh, I have to be more responsible. I have to be more disciplined. I have to make sure I'm not wasting this opportunity. And so I'm going to try and enforce myself to become as much like a robot as I can, even though I play my best golf when I'm a human, when I'm um, utilizing all the benefits of emotion and uh, the variance and having fun and, and those those experiences of joy alongside competing in something that I love. If I would have held on to that more consistently, my results would have been way better on the course, you know, Uh, and I think it's true in life as well. I can so relate to that. I so to become a PGA professional, you have to take the PAT, the playing ability test. And I, as a college student, was a head case and was on the PAT tour. I think I passed on my eighth or ninth attempt. You can hold me to that. Yes, I will admit that (laughs) on a public forum such as this. Mm. But the second I passed, I started playing better golf Mm -hmm. because there was no pressure. I went Mm -hmm. into Jerry Hogg's office, who is the program director at Methodist University. And I walked into his office and said, Jerry, I never have to play golf again. And Mm -hmm. he's like, no, 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 no. That's not the point of this. You have to keep playing golf. You need to keep. And I said, you don't understand. I never have to play. Mm-hmm. It is not a requirement anymore. I get to enjoy it for mm-hmm. the rest of my life. And it was just like alleviating that single aspect of pressure mm-hmm. because I I think out of my, I want to say I passed on my ninth time. I want to say seven out of my nine, I missed by less than three strokes. Mm-hmm. 
So it was like, you know, I'd come up on the last three or four holes and I'd have a double or I'd have a triple and I'd just take myself out of it. And then kind of like you said, instead of being able to just, okay, that hole's done, move on, keep playing fairways and greens and keep your, Mm -hmm. keep your head on your shoulders. It was, Oh, I have to make a birdie. Yeah. Another bogey. Oh my gosh. I really have to make a birdie now. And it just spiraled out of control there. And it's, it's too much pressure. It is, you know, I, I had the same experience when I, when I got status on the one Asia tour, you know, these were the biggest events I'd played in, got to play in Fiji and the Australian open. And so I'm seeing some of those PGA guys out there with me. And, you know, I put so much pressure on myself to say, um, I have to make the cut. I have to keep status that I would be in the hunt. I was playing pretty solid. And then come that last nine holes, second round, just slowly would start dropping shots. And all of a sudden, instead of being well in the cut line and competing a little bit in top 20 or 30, now I'm three or four out of the cut line and going home on Friday, right? Or Saturday. So it's amazing when you just say, I I have to make the cut or I have to do this and I have to force it to happen. It doesn't happen, right? And, you know, it's funny is like, as you're saying, as you were sharing your example, it made me think, how often do we do that in just normal life in our work, right? We it's the same narrative. It just has different clothes on in a different environment saying I have to, you know, perform well in this meeting. I have to show up well for this podcast and make sure I say the right things, or I have to, you know, all these narratives that rob us of the joy of what we love to do. Hopefully we can find so much more joy in what we do when we understand that the results of my day-to-day actions are not life-threatening. They aren't going to end my career or leave me on the streets with nothing left to prove or do. Just letting ourselves, showing ourselves some grace, giving us ourselves a freedom to be truly ourselves. uh, It's amazing the superpower that can be. Absolutely. Yeah. Give yourself the grace and the freedom to take the time, honestly, to make the mistakes if you need to make them and pick yourself back up and learn from them. That's the best Mm -hmm. thing that you can do is if you do, I hate saying it, but fail to meet an expectation, whether it's of yourself or others, what can you learn from it? Move on. It's not the end of the world and, and see what, see what you can do better the next time. You know, if, Mm -hmm. if uh, I can't remember what movie it is, always do the next right thing. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And just keep moving on. I don't know. I think it's from a Disney movie, so it's probably a little corny. But, I love it. <laughs> you know, what's the yeah. next right thing? Let's pick yourself up and do that. So yeah. We can figure I think, that out. Yeah, I think Hogan said uh, the most important shot in golf is the next one. And that's a quote I just love for life, too. Just like... <laughs> Yeah, we're going to make mistakes, but the most important decision you're about to make is the next one, not the last one. Same with the next shot in golf. Um, and I think any of us who are golfers can relate to that. There's a lot of times where all you can think about is that horrible shot you just hit, not the shot you're about to hit. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, Thane, this has been really, um, really good discussion on the post-COVID overwhelm. What what has caused it? What uh, can you do to help yourself get through it, get over it, cope with it? You know, if this is your new normal or if you're just kind of working through something until you're able to get back to more of, of a new normal. Um, so I want to learn a little bit more about your company, Thane Marcus, and what you do with your partner, Giant. Mm-hmm. Can you expand on that a little bit? 
For sure. Yeah. Thanks for asking. So Giant um, is a worldwide organization that provides coaches and consultants like myself resources uh, to serve organizations better with um, scalable people development. So really what I do with organizations is help uh, with emerging up and coming leaders. I help with uh, leadership in general and helping them know how to invest in their people in a meaningful way. But beyond that, starting with investing in ourselves, holding ourselves to the person and the leader we want to be. A lot of leadership in the 21st century we talk about is through influence and not just authority. People care a lot more about how much you care than what your job title is um, nowadays. And so we can't just rely on uh, ruling with an iron fist because of our title. We have to gain the trust of people that opens up the relationship for influence and impact to bring out their greatest gift as a part of our team uh, for the greatest good of our organization. Uh, so that's going to be true for you on the golf course uh, with your team there as well. Um, so it's really fulfilling work. I, I love doing it. It's always dynamic, ever changing. You know, one of the we, we use a, a, a toolkit. It's a series of visual displays of leadership principles that help these concepts be more ingrained in our head. We can remember a picture a lot better than we can remember words a lot of times. And so the benefit of that is, is retention, but also getting people on the same page faster. When you and I both look at a picture on a screen, we can better under know that we're thinking the same thing versus our interpretation of what's being said. Um, so it helps with two people being on the same page. It helps with remembering it, um, but it also helps us with applying it. So one of the tools that would be applicable to what we've talked about today is called the 70-30 principle. And it's just this idea that if we can focus our daily tasks and responsibilities and try to find the sweet spot of 70% of those tasks and responsibilities being things that we're consciously, unconsciously competent at, we're naturally good at, they're energizing or life-giving to us, then we'll have the energy for the 30% of life and our jobs and tasks that are consciously competent. They're draining. They're things that take actual effort and that we don't want to do. But in reality, we're never going to be 90, 10 or 100, zero. That's not reality. That's not life. That's selfish too. Um, so if we can find that 70, 30 balance, we'll be able to have the energy for both the life-giving things, but also the things that are draining. Um, and so even just checking in with ourselves, that's an important reminder that, you know, alongside boundaries and expectations and being more human, checking in, just taking a pause to check in and say, hey, how am I doing? And how can I evaluate that? The 7030 is a great tool to help us evaluate that, saying, okay, what percentage do I feel like my daily tasks are? Are they energizing or draining? Are they things that I'm pretty good at naturally or things that are really stretching for me? And where am I at? And that can help us then say, okay, what are the meaningful shifts that I can make right now, today, or tomorrow in my scheduling that gets it a little bit more balanced so that I stop feeling overwhelmed or I, I stop experiencing so much burnout or I, I start having more life or energy for my work. So the work we do is really practical, even if it seems more vague or nebulous, it really applies to everyday life and it can make meaningful change today. Yeah, that sounds really, really good. Um, I like how you talk about, you know, you're able to look at something with your team and know that you're speaking the same language, a, co a cohesive language within the workplace of a team can do, I mean, it just, it improves everyone's morale at work by miles. You know, you, mm. you know that you understand each other. You can all be on the same page with helping one another, helping each individual 
accomplish their own tasks or manage their own departments. Um, having been through a training somewhat like this, and I'm a certified model netics instructor, that's also the basis of that training is mm -hmm. it's 150 small visual models or concepts that, you know, if, if an entire staff or an entire leadership group at a company or an organization goes through it, all of a sudden you all start to realize, oh yeah, we have, you know, to your example, the 70-30 principle, um, hey, you know, I noticed you're probably around more of a 50-50. What can I do to help you with that? Or is there anything that you need from someone else to help you get, you know, closer to the 70-30? It just, it, it's really good to to create that cohesive language around teams. So it's, mm. it's enlightening and refreshing to hear that, that your organization can help teams do something like that. So that's really great. Totally. Yeah. And, and with that, you know, I think what you're talking about, too, is just the foundation of any team's performance is communication at the end of the day. Um, that is what it's all built on. If you can't communicate well, if you can't communicate effectively to where people um, give and receive the same type, the same meaning behind the communication, same interpretation, uh, it's going to be a struggle for your team. And the reality is a majority of people in organizations don't feel heard. They don't feel like their voice is valued or recognized, and it's a it's a massive problem. So when when we start better hearing and, and recognizing and valuing the voices, all the voices on our team, uh, that much more power will be given to the overall mission of the team. Uh, one of the we we have a personality assessment based off Myers Briggs called the Five Voices, and it really focuses on that team communication. It brings again some practical language to how do we communicate, how do we both give and receive communication in a way that is meaningful, but also actionable, saying, hey, I don't know. I've never used INFJ in real life. It's a cool, you know, thing to know, but those four letters didn't really have that much meaning to my daily life. The five voices gives some of that data and those ideas meaning by just making it simple. I'm a creative foundational voice, which means I can sometimes not communicate best initially because I'm so forward thinking and big picture that I'm not even clear about what I'm thinking myself. So I have to be able to be sure that I know what I'm saying before I say it or else no one's going to understand. They're all going to think I'm dumb. And I don't want that either because then I shut down. So, you know, that helps me know. That helps me relate in real time in real life. Um, and so that's a great resource for people to check out as well. And I understand you're also involved with a event series called Leadership Majors. Can you tell us a little bit about those? Yeah, I, you know, with my background being in uh, golf and leadership development now, I, I wanted to find a meaningful way to merge the two uh, in, in a unique concept. I, things like this have been done before, but I, I kind of wanted to reinvent it a little bit. And so um, this last year, I've been working on this new brand called the Leadership Majors, um, and it's a wing of the business that combines leadership development with golf competition. So there's going to be um, weekend retreats that are the official leadership majors. Eventually, there'll be one for every major championship. So the weekend before each major, theoretically, there's a leadership major the weekend before for three or four days for executives and leaders to come experience some meaningful leadership development that connects to their golf game, as well as their boardroom or organization. Uh, so that the retention is that much stickier um, when it has a double emphasis and they get to play a friendly competition on an epic golf course. That's the idea. Now, I'm also with that doing local versions of it. So for you listening, if this sounds interesting or intriguing to you and your golf course here in Colorado, 
it may be worth a conversation. Uh, these are going to be more one day local events for people either in your membership base or outside of it to come and experience a similar concept, probably smaller, 40 to 60 people um, where they have a full day, uh, kind of like the one day charity tournament model where, you know, you come and have a scramble tournament and you have a fun time together. It'll have that, but it'll be infused with leadership development uh, that they can take with them and immediately apply to their organizations as well. Uh, so it'll be a really fun time. Those sound really good as well. I like that you're tagging him to the four majors. It's easy to remember. <laughs> yeah. So, Thane, I really appreciate you being part of our podcast and helping us through this episode. Um, if someone wants to learn more about what you do or your affiliate partner, Giant, how do, how do they do that? Yeah, uh, com is the headquarters for all that I do. Uh, so that's a great place to go and start. Um, you can pretty much find info for all of it there. Uh, there's links to the golf side of things. There's links to blogs and um, coaching, consulting. And then a bunch of the giant stuff is linked there as well. Um, taking the five voices, I'd recommend that to anyone if they want to check it out. It's a free assessment. Um, takes about 15 minutes of your time. It's a great way to just learn about yourself. So there's some links on the website there too for that. Um, and if you want to touch base more there's a, a place to schedule time with me on my calendar would love to connect and hear more about your story what you're facing um i i can relate and empathize with the challenges you face in the golf industry in the golf world it's it's not going anywhere and it's only increasing with the demand uh, so i'd love to support if there are ways that i can awesome thanks so much and thanks for being a part of our elevation podcast thanks for having me on holly